when Elder Bolteis uh, asked me if I could be available and asked if July 3 would be okay, I immediately began to wonder what kind of a message I should bring on the day before the 240th birthday celebration of my country. And I thought it would be very appropriate if we would have a theme that emphasizes our thankfulness. For we live in a great and good country, a country that has been signally blessed by God during its history and has been a blessing to other nations. During the 20th century, on two occasions, the United States had to go to rescue Europe and other parts of the world from tyranny and dictatorship at great cost, as a matter of fact. And I'm thankful that I was able to participate in part of the a second World War program out in the South Pacific. Even though it uh, caused me a little grief, uh, I almost lost my life. <laughs> Spent uh, half a year in military hospitals on the return. But uh, here I am, praising God and thankful for our country. My grandfather packed up his family in Amsterdam, Holland, 105 years ago and came over the Atlantic to, the, to North America so that I could be born 80 miles north of here in Racine, Wisconsin. So I'm thankful for my heritage, too. We sang about our father's God. You know, they're no longer with us. Well, I never met my grandpa. He was already uh, almost re uh, retired when he took his family here. My father was a young man, unmarried, met my mother on this side of the Atlantic, and here we are in God's great promise. Providence. Um, only once do I remember talking to my dad about why Grandpa decided to bring his family here. And the only reason I can remember is my dad told me that his father did not want his grandchildren to grow up in Europe, in Holland. So he was thinking of me and the rest of the Bergsman tribe. So thankfulness is the theme of our worship celebration this morning. For that purpose, we turn to the scripture, the source of our life, our spiritual life. In Psalm 116, verses 12 through 19. And this passage is going to tell us how to be thankful for our blessings, blessings of a nation, but beyond that, for all of God's good gifts. So listen to the word of the Lord, for this is God's word from Psalm 116, starting with verse 12. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? The psalmist is asking himself a question, isn't he? How can I possibly thank God enough? Well, he goes on to answer his own question. Listen, this is how I can repay the Lord for his goodness to me. I will lift up the cup of salvation. We're going to find out what that means. That's one way of thanking God. And call on the name of the Lord. That's a second way. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. 
psalm goes on to read, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you, and I will call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in church, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of worship then. And then he closes with this statement, praise the Lord. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to the reading of this word of God and apply it to all of our hearts. Uh, Dear friends in Christ, uh, early in his administration, our president made a statement that sort of startled me. He said, we are not a Christian nation, but a nation of many religions. And he mentioned some of them. Now, technically, he was right. We can't speak of a nation as Christian, certainly not much evidence in our national life of any particular concentration on the Christian faith. But I wonder sometimes if our president has never come to realize how important the Christian faith was in the lives of the founders of this nation. After all, he went through grade school and part of high school way off in Indonesia, in a Muslim madras, as they call them, or what they call their schools. And I don't imagine they learned about Patrick Henry and James Madison and George Washington uh, in his early training, so maybe he's not aware of the, the level to which the Christian faith influenced our early founders. I'm going to give you a few examples. Patrick Henry. He's known most for the statement, give me liberty or give me death. But he said a lot more than that, including this, I quote, it cannot be emphasized too strongly that this nation was founded not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ, unquote. Pretty specific, isn't he? James Madison is sometimes called, often called, the father of our Constitution. He wrote most of it initially. And this is what he has to say about his faith and the motivation for the founding of this country. I quote him, We have staked the whole of our political institutions on the capacity to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments which we just recited a little bit ago, unquote. John Jay, you know his name? The first Supreme Court justice in the United States. John Jay, justice of the Supreme Court, said, I quote, Americans should select and prefer Christians as their rulers, unquote. After our nation was founded, George Washington, its first president, penned a prayer for the country. Couldn't broadcast it, of course. It didn't have radios back then, much less TV. But the prayer was distributed through the nation, and this is part of the prayer of the president of the United States, our first president. I quote, 
we make our earnest prayer that thou wilt keep the United States in thy holy protection. Grant our supplication, we beseech thee, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know that the Ten Commandments are still written in a mural above where our Supreme Court justices sit in Washington, D.C.? There's a mural of Moses with the tablets of the Ten Commandments in his hands. Yes, there was significant biblical influence among the people who founded our nation. I personally remember after Pearl Harbor was bombed and the Second World War began for the U.S. It was already going on in, East, in the East and in, in Europe that President Roosevelt went on the air. We had radios by that time. I was about 14 years old, and old enough to end up in the last year of that war out in the South Pacific. And this is part of what President Roosevelt said to our nation in his prayer. He prayed that the God of all the earth would cradle in his tender care the United States of America. And he concluded his prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some weeks ago, I saw a historical documentary about the beginnings of World War II, and they included the the prayer of President Roosevelt, but they didn't include his final statement that he prayed his prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Somehow that's not so popular anymore. Just one more thing, just one more thing. The George Washington Monument is the highest building in Washington, D.C., designed that way. It is 555 feet tall. I and my... Kids once climbed all those stairs, 898 stairs. And at 50 landings, there are etched in the wall scripture verses from this Bible, and only from the Bible, plus prayers for our nation. And did you know that at the very top of the George Washington Monument, there is a crown, an aluminum crown, with two words facing the clouds. And those two words are laus deo, which is Latin for praise God. Can you imagine? Those who founded this country and later built the Washington Monument had a symbol facing heaven that said praise God. Well, today it's a little different, isn't it? A judge in, uh, a state Supreme Court judge in Alabama was deposed for displaying the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse building. Deposed by the National Supreme Court that has Moses and the Ten Commandments on a mural in the wall behind its desk. A school superintendent was placed on leave of absence without pay 
for refusing to remove the Ten Commandments from a wall of the cafeteria of the school, even though it had hung there for six previous years. And the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, took the Pentagon, the Army, Navy, Coast Guard, Marine Corps, Air Force, to court because Boy Scout troops were established in the housing areas off military bases, on military bases. Because the Boy Scout troop on the Boy Scout pledge includes a statement of trust in God. On my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and to country. Yes, I was a Boy Scout, and that was our oath. And because it mentions God, the ACLU took the Pentagon to court and won. You can't mention God on a military base anymore. How do we get that way? Does it make you discouraged, a little depressed? I hope not. Because you trust in God. And if you trust in God, you can pray earnestly for his intervention to bring our country back to its roots. So what shall we do? Well, we will be thankful as God's people. We really don't know how many Christians there are in America. God does. But if the Christians would be an influence for righteousness and justice and truth and, and the honor of the Lord in our land, great things could be happening. And that's where you come in. That's where I come in. Thankful to God on behalf of those of our fellow citizens who won't be thankful. So we will be their substitutes in bringing thanks to God. Thanks to God for those who won't acknowledge God in this this holiday weekend. How shall we thank God? Well, the psalmist is going to instruct us this morning. He tells us three ways in which we can thank God. And the first of those is... he. He says, I will take up the cup of salvation. The Bible often uses figures of speech, you know. And the, the, the psalmist isn't talking about an actual cup. But when the Bible speaks about a cup, it's talking about your experience, your situation in life. Um, for instance... In a little earlier in the, verse, in the passage, we, uh, the psalmist reads, says, I will call on him as long as I live. And, and we have to ask, what does that figure of speech mean when we call on the name of the Lord? Well, what does it mean when it says to take the cup of salvation? It simply means take that which God gives us as an experience of his grace in our lives. Uh, Remember, on one occasion, Jesus asked the disciples if they were willing to endure the cup that he was about to endure, endure the experience of being rejected by people, and finally for him it meant to, to go to the cross. So the cup has to do with 
our response and our experience to God's blessings. Now, the greatest blessing that we can know is to to be saved, the salvation of our God, to know that there is forgiveness of sin and eternal life to those who trust in the Lord, to believe the gospel. In New Testament light, it means to be thankful for Jesus, for him, the one who gave his life that we might live spiritually forever. Jesus, the greatest gift to meet our deepest need. Jesus, the gift of God for a lost world. Jesus, born of the Blessed Virgin Mary to live a perfect life and that we should have lived and didn't, and then to die the death on the cross that we deserve to die so that we may be redeemed. There are so many blessings in life, including our nation, as has been mentioned on a few occasions already. But material blessings, blessings of family and friend, and the abundance that God provides us. But let Jesus be number one on the list. Let him be the priority of your life. Take the cup of salvation for Jesus. Overflow the cup of salvation by his perfect life and his sacrificial death. That's number one. The greatest and first way in which to show our thankfulness for nation and all other gifts is to receive the gospel, to trust in Christ to redeem us. And there's a second way. The the psalmist says that we should call on the name of the Lord. The Bible speaks of calling on on the name of the Lord in two fashions. Sometimes it refers to prayer. Call on the name of the Lord in prayer. Uh, For instance, in verse uh, 4, the psalmist says, Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. You see what he did? He said, I will call on the name of the Lord. And then he starts to pray. He prays, O Lord, save me. So prayer is one of the ways in which we call upon the name of the Lord. What's your prayer life like? How often do you call on the name of the Lord? Not just in petition. Petition means asking for something. Asking to be a blessing in our lives, to heal the sick. You heard the pastoral prayer. Um, We prayed for those who are undergoing unusually difficult uh, health concerns and procedures. Surely we ask for the Lord to bless us in a variety of ways. But petition or or, or prayer ought also to be thankfulness. And I think we as parents and grandparents ought to be models for our young people and our children to learn how to pray. I remember very well my father took the leadership in prayer in our family. We had seven children nine of us around the table, and we prayed before and after each meal. At the beginning of the meal, we we said grace. That is, we asked for a blessing upon our food. At the end of the meal, we responded with thanksgiving. And my dad sometimes used formal prayers, prayers he had memorized, short prayers, sometimes the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, who art in heaven, 
But at the close, he would usually pray for the neighbors, for friends and family, for those who are going through difficult times, and he would especially be thankful. And I can't tell you how often he thanked the Lord for the United States of America, that we could live here, especially after Second World War started. And his own relatives in Holland were enduring the occupation of the Nazi forces. So he served as a model for prayer, but he sometimes would ask us to pray, my mother occasionally, and the children. Well, I remember on one occasion he asked my youngest brother to pray. He was only about five, makes me about 14 at the time. The rest of us were mostly in the early teenage years or later. And uh, my younger brother prayed. And he thanked God for his tricycle and for his toys and for his friends. And he, he thanked God for his brothers and sisters, mentioned us each by name. <laughs> and he went on and on. And then there was a period of silence. And we could tell he was trying to think of something else for which to thank God. And we teenagers, of course, got a little impatient, you know. And he finally continued his prayer, and he said, and we thank you, Lord, for brooms to sweep the floor with. And, of course, that's all us teenagers could take, and we started laughing. Well, my father, of course, scolded us, and my little brother cried. I could still see him today. He cried, and we learned a lesson then that we should be thankful to God for everything, even for brooms to sweep the floor with. That's one way in which we can call on the name of the Lord, prayer. <clears throat> Another is worship. Often in the Bible, when, it's, uh, when people are admonished by the prophets and the priests to uh, call on the name of the Lord, they mean to call to worship before the high altar. Sometimes it's called a solemn assembly. Listen to Jeremiah. He tells us what the Lord wanted the people to know. This is what the Lord says. Call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And a little later in our scripture passage, when we read, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. That's a reference to the gathering of God's people. So worship is another way in which we can show our thankfulness. We should be a grateful people when we come together in our worship time in church to be present among those united in common praise to God in united Thanks for his goodness. Uh, I wonder sometimes. Um, maybe I'm not quite so terribly sure. But I wonder if our frequency of presence at worship is something of a barometer of our thankfulness to God. Uh, our presence in the house of the Lord serves as a thermometer to determine how warm we are, 
How about our worship before God? I'm not suggesting that those who are more faithful in worship than those who aren't are better. None of us is better than any other one of us. We are all objects of grace. If left to ourselves, we're all lost. We all need to trust in Jesus. As a matter of fact, if any of us think because of our religious practices we're better than others, that literally makes us worse. Because thinking we're better than others is pride. And C.S. Lewis says that pride was the original sin. I think he's right. When Adam and Eve proudly wanted to be like God and believed the devil's lie, and, that's, and you know what the consequences of a sinful world they were. Those who worship faithfully are thankful to God. I've often been asked why all three of us sons in the Bergsville family became pastors. I once added it up. We were pastors uh, for 124 years in total. My youngest brother is nine years and two days younger than I am. Uh, he's still active in Indiana. He's retired, but he's serving part-time in a church that's looking for a pastor just now. So he, here we are. And I've often been asked, why did all three of us become pastors? Was our father a pastor? No, he worked in a factory. But if something was going on in church, the Bergsma family was there. The Bergsma bench, as they called it. We always sat at the same bench, all nine of us. And it seemed to us that that must have been the most important thing in our parents' lives. The church. I think the family was second, and the job was third. And it seemed to be natural for us to want to be part of the most important institution in the world, the institution that brings the gospel of God's grace to a lost and dying world. Worship, then, is the second way we can call upon the name of the Lord and demonstrate our thankfulness. And now finally, the third manner in which we are thankful to the Lord, the psalmist says, is to fulfill our vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What does it mean to fulfill vows? Well, to begin with, what are vows? It's my allergy season, so I have a little throat problem. Vows are solemn promises. Vows are sincerely accepted obligations. We speak of marriage vows, don't we? We vow to be faithful and to be so loyal that only death will break that vow. Okay? I've been at it for 65 years. And I plan to stay with it. You can ask Doris what her intentions are, but I think they're the same. Um, When you made profession of faith, sometimes called confession of faith, to become a member of the Christian church, when you stood here before the congregation and, and professed that Jesus Christ is your hope 
for salvation both now and in the life to come. That was a vow. Some traditions call it confirmation. Good term, too. To confirm your commitment to the gospel. That's a vow. A solemn promise. Thankful people keep their vows. The offering this morning was for faith promise. We call that faith promise our practice to make a commitment, an annual commitment, to support our missionaries. This missionary working among him, uh, immigrants in Washington, other of, of our missionaries are in foreign countries bringing the gospel. And we make a vow, a faith promise, that we will be supportive of our missionaries. They, they depend upon us. Thankful people, whether for country or family or friends or resources, thankful people keep their vow. You know, the tendency is to, is to scale down our vows, to make our promises and then renege a little bit on them. I mean, that's the normal human tendency. And so I'm going to close with a story. I'm not going to try to make any application. I'm going to leave it to you. A story I think the children and others, if the children can understand it, I'm sure the rest of us can. A story that comes from what we call the rabbinical tradition. It's a parable that the rabbis used to tell in the Old Testament days. And this is how it goes. And remember, the story indicates how the tendency to scale down our commitments to the Lord. And it goes like this. There was a man who was very thankful to the Lord. He felt unusually grateful to the Lord, and so he was going to bring a thank offering, sometimes called in the Old Testament a peace offering to the Lord. You know, there were great festivals in the Old Testament when the whole community was involved, but there were many other opportunities for people to bring, to vow, to bring certain evidences of their faith before the priest at the high altar. Well, this one man was going to make it a good one because he was so grateful. He was going to sacrifice an ox. Well, an ox is a whole cow. Actually, it's a male cow, isn't it? So he put a rope around the the, the ox's neck, and he started walking to the temple in Jerusalem. That was about 10 miles away. But as he was walking along, he met a man with a sheep. Now, sheep are not as valuable as oxen. So he thought, well, look, the Lord is honored if I had sacrificed a sheep. And if I sell my ox to this man, I'll take the sheep in trade, and I'll put the profit in my pocket. And so he did it. Put the rope around the sheep's neck and started on his way to the temple. When he met another man with a lamb, well, a lamb is a young sheep, not as valuable as a mature sheep. And he thought, well, look, uh, the, 
the Mosaic law says you can bring a lamb too. So I can sell my sheep, take the lamb and trade, put the profit in my pocket. So he did. And now you know where this thing is going, don't you? He moved on closer to the temple, maybe halfway there, and he met someone with two turtle doves. Now the Mosaic law says if a person is too poor to afford a lamb, they can literally catch some turtle doves, like it's in the pigeon family, isn't it? And bring them to the Lord. And so he thought, hey, if the Lord is pleased with two turtle doves, well, I'll sell my lamb, take the turtle doves in trade, put the profits in my pocket. So he did. He went on a little further. He met a person with some dates. And sure enough, the Mosaic law says, you can honor the Lord by bringing dates to the priest and offering them to the Lord. And so he thought, well, all right, I'll take the dates in trade and sell the turtle doves. And on he went. By this time, he could see the altar in the temple court ahead of him, about a football field away, 100 yards away. And he had this bag of dates. And he got a little hungry. So he started eating the dates and putting the pits back in the bag. And by the time he got to the altar, all he had left was a bag of pits. And he placed the pits on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord, a pittance for the Lord. 